The following is a presentation from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you. For more information, visit lifepointpeople.com. In this series, Covenant and Contract, this is the last week. It's been six weeks total, and we have managed to get through quite a bit of uh, thoughts and principles on marriage and what the scripture talks about it, and, and we're going to wrap it up this week and start a new series leading up into Easter next Sunday, which I'm really excited about on truth and relativism and what is truth, and it'll be a sort of fun to answer some questions that are out there and maybe questions you've asked as well about the Bible and God and all of that. But we're going to wrap this up, and this morning's message is entitled Sacrifice, Sin, and Solidarity, and you'll see why that title fits here in a bit. But we're in Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, and so you can open up a scripture, and this is going to be the last time we read through this, but we've read through it just about every single Sunday because I really want these verses on marriage to be etched into your mind as we go beyond this series. As humans, you know, we tend to forget, don't we? We tend to be forgetful of God's truths. We tend to be forgetful of our, how much our spouse loves us, especially when they're yelling at us or when we're not talking at each other. It's hard to remember that they actually love us. And so we want to remember these words. We want to remember these scriptures. What is God saying about marriage? So let's read through it one more time. Ephesians 5, 21. Submit to one another out of reverence, For Christ, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to your husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands, you should love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but feeds it, cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, and for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking, of course, about the Christ and the church. However, each one of you should love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife should respect her husband. This is God's word. So last week we were on the verse that we all seem to get hung up on when it comes to marriage in scripture, wives submit to your husbands. And we spent 40 to 45 minutes, depending on which service you were at, on this verse talking strictly about what does this mean? And what we began to tear apart was understanding the head and body relationship. If you, rem- if you remember that last week, the, the, the whole image of the head, God the Father, Christ is the body, Christ is the head of the church, the church is the body, husband and wife, head, body, and what it means. We talked about what authority is and what source is. And I was able to get through most of everything, but we ended on sort of this thought, which was the secret to femininity. And there's two ways that we talked about the helper using her power, right? Helper in our English language doesn't get a good rap. It gets more of a less than, like you're the helper, you're, you're, you're lower than the person who's doing the work. In scripture, it couldn't be further from the truth. Without the helper, the namer couldn't complete the work. That the helper comes alongside and has, has value and attributes the namer cannot have. As a woman, you have imprinted on you from the Lord value and, and 
You have things that we have deficiencies in. Us men have deficiencies in. And that is the purpose of the helper. And so we talked about that. We talked about the two ways you can use that power. One is to enable and empower your spouse. As the wife, you can come and you put yourself beneath and you transfer sort of the power that God's given you to help your spouse accomplish the goals that they have for the marriage and personally and in work. And then the other way is to replace them. If you remember the algebra example, if my son comes to me and needs help with the algebra, I can just do it for him, or I can take my time, put myself beneath him, and, and find ways to transfer my knowledge of algebra, what's left of it, and, uh, and help him learn to do it on his own. Then he goes to school to the test in strength, right? So if that picture helps you understand, that's the power you ladies have. See, you have more than just your pretty eyes and your hair and the clothes you wear. You have intrinsic value and an imprint of the creator himself in your DNA, in who you are. And we as men, no matter how much schooling we have or how masculine we are or all that we've done, do not have that. And God created it that way. It's that head and body relationship. They need one another. They complement one another. And even scripturally, they help to complete one another. So we talked about where that was at. And what we said was that what makes masculine and feminine different is not what you do. Can a woman be a namer? Yes. Can a man be a nurturer and a helper? And a helper? Of course he can. It's not what you do. It's why you do it. Men may nurture, but they nurture to have impact. Women will achieve, but they will achieve in order to nurture. There is something inside that God has put there, and that is the difference. So we explained and we, we proved that there is certainly a difference between men and women. We are not agender. We are not this sort of ambiguous, we're all the same. There is something different there, so where do we go with it? And as we talked about the namer and helper in Genesis, Genesis 3 tells us the second part of what happens, right? Genesis 3, the fall of man, they eat the fruit, Adam eats of the fruit, God comes to them, and they become corrupted. There is now a curse on mankind, okay? And that's where we got, this is where we left off yes, uh, last week. In Genesis 3, God comes to Adam and he says, you will sweat and work in the dust of the ground. Thorns and thistles will come up. And then he looks at Eve and he says, you will have pain in childbearing and your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. So that right there should tell us that we are not the same. God does not curse the same thing, even though they're both humans. Why wouldn't he just curse the same thing for two humans? It's very specific. For Adam, he's going to curse the thing for which Adam finds his identity and his maturity in his work, in his impact, in his purpose. Right? He goes on to say that uh, your need and your desire to have an impact on the world, your independence, your achievements, it will become an idol to you, Adam. It will become more important to you than your relationship with me. Tell me something, men. Do you often find it's difficult to love the Lord and put him first in your life over your career? Over your finances, over the well-being of your children, over the retirement accounts, over the extra home you'd like to have one day? over the toys. It is. That's our struggle. That's a battle. And he knew that. And he comes to Eve and he says to her, what's he curse with her? Does he curse her work? Does he curse the future job she will have, the impact she will make? No. He comes to her and curses the relationships, right? Women are interdependent. We talked about that. They find their maturity as they network, as they have the ability to network and have this interdependent web of people where they can have access to goods and wares. He comes to her and he says, you will want your husband desperately, but your husband will rule over you. 
See, God curses the two different natures. He doesn't just put a blanket statement on mankind. He recognizes the natures, and that is where we will struggle. So the teaching is this. The wife's interdependent gift, right? The woman's interdependent gift under the influence of sin sin will become a stumbling block. And so she will become a dependent person. And we see that. We see that a lot. She will want to be taken care of the husband whose independent gift that is now under the influence of sin. Instead of being someone who is an independent person, he will be a tyrant. And he will look to master and rule over her. And we certainly see that throughout marriages, not just in this country, but throughout the world. And we see how these gifts that were given to mankind, both for male and female, when corrupted by sin, tend to lead towards places that are unhealthy, tend to be the cause of so many fights and arguments and misunderstandings in marriage. And we wonder why we can't figure it out. So when masculinity and femininity go bad, independence becomes tyranny, interdependence becomes dependence. The Bible teaches that men will tend to oppress women and women will tend to make it easy for them. And so this is where we're left. And if we were just left there, it's a really sad story and not one worth telling. But Christ came along and said, I'm going to change the story. I am the story. I'm the reason the story is even being told is to get us back into a place where we can return to the garden. So the what of gender roles in marriage. So I said a couple of weeks back that friendship is the purpose. Remember that? And so what we see now is it's a lot more than friendship because no matter how deeply uh, two men are friends with each other or two women are friends with each other, whether it's a platonic relationship or not, no matter how deep that goes, there cannot be, there cannot be this type of fundamental complementary balance between the two because that was designed by God with the feminine and masculine aspects to be between a man and a woman in a marriage relationship. And we knew that marriage is the ultimate friendship because it's the person that you are most open with, most vulnerable with, most naked with, not just physically, but emotionally. You bear your soul to them. And that's why it's wrapped inside of a covenant. So when we get to this verse, what then is the purpose of submission? What then is the purpose of talking about submission? And really, biblically, it's a tie-breaking authority. Okay? It's a tie-breaking authority. So as iron sharpens iron, a friend sharpens a friend. That's what Proverbs tells us, right? So if I am in a marriage with somebody who is supposed to be my best friend, then I cannot be in this marriage where I am the all-ruling authority, and I have final say on everything, and my wife has to do whatever I say. Is that iron sharpening iron? No, that's not a friendship. That's some sort of a dictatorship. It's a terrible place to be, and it's a tough type of marriage to have. It's not godly, but we see it in just about every marriage, godly or ungodly, believer or unbeliever, because we tend towards this. Our sin nature tends to lead us towards this. But if we come back to what Scripture has, what Christ has called us to, then we understand this. There must be contention. There must be debate. There must be a sharpening. That is why my wife is so good at arguing with me. She has helped make me a better arguer. And I, I would rather sometimes just be passive on certain things. She won't let it happen. And that's good. That's why we're better friends now than we were when we first met. When we used to just be like, oh, they're just so pretty. He's so beautiful. Thanks, babe. And we just, everything was good. But now we've, she stopped that real quick, right? Like you get into marriage and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, it was cute when we were dating, but let's get rid of that old disgusting habit now. Put your clothes away. So we end up in this place where we have to sharpen one another. That's the friendship. 
right? So where does this submission thing come in? This tie-breaking authority. So the husband, according to the scripture, it's his authority. It's, it's what he has been called to as the head, is to be able to defer to in the situations where you have an argument, you have a debate. And so the egalitarian approach would be, well, if you two can't agree, then you just don't make a choice on it. Well, that's all fine and good in theory, but what happens when we're arguing about where our kids go to school, for example? <laughs> well, mom and dad couldn't figure out which school to go to, so you just won't go to school this semester. You know, kids are, yeah, <laughs> keep sticking with that biblical approach, mom and dad. This is great. No, you've got to make a decision. You have to send your kids somewhere. And biblically, the Bible says, defer to the choice of the man. Allow him to make that choice. And I want to walk through why. This isn't in everything. This isn't in a place where every time we go see a movie, well, defer to the choice of the man. All you'd see is stupid action movies. And men, you, that's wrong, right? So as the head, it is not about pleasing self. It is not about being at the top and so I get to see all of my desires fulfilled. If you're doing that, you're doing it wrong. That's not how it should be done. That's not what Christ has called you to because remember, what does he say after wives submit to your husbands? We love your, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church and he sacrificed himself. He sacrificed his desires, his wants, and he served the church even with the service of his life unto death. So why let the husbands initiate? Why would the wife defer? And it really goes back to what we talked about last week. It's getting in touch with that imprint of Christ on our lives. Men find their maturity. They find a lot of identity in the decision-making, in the independence, in the moving out, in the impact, right? And wives find it in the imprint of God in how they support, how they build up, how they bring about knowledge, how, how, they send, how you send your husband out into the world in strength and in power in those decisions, by being one unit and by being of one mind. And so that is why it is so important as men that we continue to make sure that we're in a servant's heart towards our wife. We're in a place where we can hear the value of what she has to say. When we made the decision to come out here, right, for those months when, when it was just starting, before I'd even come out on an interim role, my wife said, absolutely, absolutely not, no way. I, I, I don't see this. I don't even know where that is, and we, she wasn't really on board. And then she was on board for the three-month interim period. You can do three months. After that, we come back to our home church. We stay here. It's crazy out there. And as the time continued to go on, and I felt like God was calling me out here, I would present it before and say, I feel like God is calling us out here. She was faithful to go before the Lord. And over that time period, the Lord began to change her heart, and she began to see what God was showing me and said, I am on board with it. But I'll tell you the truth. If she had a giant check in her heart, and through those entire three months, she said, no, I sent something. This is not God's will. We aren't supposed to go. I would have been a fool if I did not listen to it. If the person God has given me to help me, if the person who knows me more than anyone else has a massive check in her spirit and it won't go away, I better be listing my life for a reason. But at the same time, God has still given me the job to make a decision one way or another. And a lot in marriage, and maybe you've experienced this, is when the man stops making decisions. When we start to defer all of the decisions to our wives, when we no longer wish to take responsibility, we no longer wish to step up and lead our home, and we begin to defer. And I can remember one time specifically years ago after we had had the miscarriage, and I've talked about this, but I was angry with God. I was angry for about a year with God. And it was shortly after that we had an opportunity to buy a house that was way out of our league. We probably shouldn't have been doing it, but it was in a great neighborhood and we were friends and we were getting in way over our heads. I didn't feel good about it, but I was so angry at God and I was in such a bad place that I just said, you make the decision. I don't want to. Go, 
fine. You want to do it, do it. And it ended up being a really bad deal. We got in a lot of trouble. Now, hear me on this. This is not saying because she made the decision we got into a bad deal. My wife is brilliant. She has been the reason I have been able to make great decisions. She has made unbelievable decisions for our family that have helped us. But in this instance, God was calling me, needing me to step up. She needed me. I remember her asking, please, what do you feel about this? Are we supposed to do this? And I just didn't care. I continually just deferred it away. And it cost us tens of thousands of dollars. And I look back at that and hold no blame over her, but recognize that for that season, I decided to defer any sort of responsibility God had given me in my marriage. And I decided to push it aside. And God gently reminded me every month with the payments we made, don't do that anymore, son. That's not smart. Every time I wrote that check, I was like, stupid, defer. There's wisdom in how God has designed it. There's wisdom in what he's given us and how he calls us to be in this place. And so here we are, and if I want to say this, because I'm sure this is going through some of your minds. How does this affect me? I'm single or, or I'm divorced, right? So how do these principles affect me? The principles of completeness, of completing one another. And I just want to say this, because unfortunately we are corrupted men and women. We are corrupted men and women who enter into marriage together. It is not going to be perfect. It is not going to be ideal. There is going to be struggle and it is not going to be as good as it's supposed to be. And so do not hold marriage if you are single or divorced Do not hold marriage into this light that it is the only thing that can complete you, that it is the thing that will make life worth living. Because I want to say this, that's not the point of it. God is the only thing that can complete you. A relationship with Christ is the only thing that can satisfy your deepest desires, the needs, the things that maybe you speak to no one about. And without him, you will continue to sense loneliness and a struggle. But another person will not be that that, that ultimate thing that makes you happy. There's trade-offs. There's trade-offs when it comes to the sanctification. You've heard me talk about that. Your spouse is a vehicle towards your redemption, right? They are a vehicle by which you are being, one day it says that you will present your wife to the Lord, right? It's holy, just as Christ presents the church, uh, just as Christ will present the church. But here's the thing, there's trade-offs to the sanctification, the differentials between it. It's God can use you in your singleness and in your marriedness, just the same. As I look at the ministry, right, just take, Take this, my example. It would be so much easier to do this ministry if I didn't have a wife and a family at times. If I didn't have to be home at certain times. If I could just go on mission trips and didn't have anyone else to worry about. And if I could stay late and work constantly on, on marketing and counseling and being with people. We, we, maybe we could be twice this size. Maybe our influence would be bigger. All right? But in, in the times when I was alone and have to go home, there would be loneliness. And some of you know that and have experienced that. And that would be the trade-off. There, I wouldn't have the kids. I wouldn't have the family and all the joy that brings. And at the same time, with the family and with the wife, I now, I can't do all the extra things. I can't give myself fully to the church. I can't be here every waking moment and, be, and do, achieve that desire I have to go out and make an impact. I have to take time. I have to stop short. I have to let things sit on my desk so I can go home and pay attention to the family. You see, there's a trade-off. And you know that. That's just my ministry example, but you know that in work as well. And so one will not make you happier. One will not make you more successful. What will help you in that arena is saying, Lord, where I am at right now, would you help me find contentment? Would you help me honor you in my singleness? Lord, would you help me honor you in my marriage? And would you allow me to be content with where I'm at now? That will lead you into a place you want to be. And here's the thing, God calls us into a marriage, 
but he also calls us into this covenant marriage with him, right? If he's the groom and the church is the bride, this is the covenant marriage he's calling us into. It's the ultimate marriage. It's the ultimate relationship. And I'll say this. God says, I am more of a man and I am more of a woman than any of you could ever be. I embody the masculine characteristics better than the toughest tough guy. Chuck Norris has nothing on me, right? Mother Teresa, nothing on me. I embody the feminine and the masculine more than any human can. And if you need that, if you are looking for that compliment, that relationship, man or woman, I will satisfy it in you. It's not another person you need, per se. It is a relationship with Christ. So what does it mean? And now we're going to get right into the scripture itself, the actual verse. What does it mean when it says, when the Bible says, wives submit to your husbands? It does not mean the wives give the husbands an unconditional obedience. Sorry, guys. Apologize about that one. It's hard to write it down in text, you know. That's why we do tithe before I preach this message, just in case any of you are like, hey. It does not mean wives give the husbands unconditional obedience. That is reserved alone for the Lord. But in Acts 5.28, right, what's it going to tell us about governing authorities? In Acts 5.28, we see the governing authority tell the disciples to stop preaching Christ. This is the government. Well, in Romans 13, we see Paul say, you obey all governing authorities, that Christians must always obey the government and the authorities that it has in place. That's what Romans 13 says. So then we get to Acts and we see, here's Peter preaching Christ and the government, the authorities come to him and say, stop, you are not to preach Christ. And what does Peter say? Peter says, God should judge whether we should obey him or you. God will be my judge whether I should obey him or I should obey you. The point is this, any human authority in your life should be any human authority that would defer or would counteract scripture and what God has called you to do in his word comes second place to the authority of Christ in your life. It comes second place to the authority of Christ. So let me put it this way. You are free of human authority if that human authority is causing you, is approving something God forbids or is forbidding something. Hear me on this one. If that human authority is forbidding something God approves, you are no longer bound under that authority. If you are supporting a human authority that is pressing you to sin and it's supporting your sin, if you have a spouse that says, here, help me deal drugs or is abusive to you, that, that, is, that is supporting something God forbids, and you are no longer under that authority. There is only one authority in my life that I have unconditional obedience to, and that is Jesus Christ. There is no other male, man-made authority. Now, I will listen to the authority, even if I don't like it. I will still abide by the governance of my government, even if I don't like it. But when that government starts to tell me things that go against what Scripture says, I am no longer under that authority. For that ruling, I still, I'm still there, right? I still have to pay my taxes. Uh, I don't like what the government says about abortion, so I'm stopped paying taxes because the Bible says, you know, don't do that. That's wrong. Give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, right? So where does this leave us? This would mean certainly that a wife who would submit to her husband and ask to the Lord does not mean in the same way, hear this, that you obey the Lord. Submit to your husband as unto the Lord does not mean in the same way you obey the Lord. It's saying you obey the Lord, then you obey your husband. You obey your husband because of your obedience to the Lord, not because of what your husband has done or has not done. But if your husband comes into a place where he is asking you to do something the scriptures forbid, or he's coming to a place where he's asking you to uh, not do something the scriptures approve, 
you defer to the authority of the Lord. And I realize this, hear, hear this, I realize that the church has gotten this twisted. I realize in, in, in God's congregation that we have not always gotten this right and that it has been preached from the pulpit that, uh, that men have some sort of a more domineering authority and that the women should be subject to it. But scripturally, that is not in there. And that is not the kind of authority Christ is talking about. That's not the kind of authority Paul is even calling the church to. He's calling us to an understanding of the head-body relationship and the gifts God has given men and that he's given women. So, the other part of this verse is actually something that is incredibly wonderful. And it is always missed because we end up spending too much time arguing over what the heck it means for wives to submit to the husbands. So I want to move past that now. And we overlook this verse. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. And what this actually is teaching us is something marvelous and incredible about our relationship with Christ. This takes us out of the knowledge realm, out of the theological realm, out of the, out of the speculation realm, and puts us into a relationship with the God of the universe. Puts us into the relationship, a relationship with the creator who wants to know you beyond religion, beyond rules, beyond liturgy, beyond literature. He wants to know who you are. And that's what that verse sets up. As Christ is head of the church, you love your wives in a way that sacrifices for them and serves them and puts yourself beneath them in order to see them exalted. Are we loving our spouses that way, men? Do we love our spouses in such a way that you can look at the way Christ loves you and say, that's how I love my wife? But the problem here is, we often don't understand Christ's love for us. And I'm gonna close here with this topic, and it's the final topic in this series. Headship teaches us about our relationship with Christ. Remember the head body? Headship or authority, the source waters, the head rivers. We talked about that from the head rivers. You must put clean the source of where the headwaters are, otherwise the river stays polluted. So here's what it shows us, and this is how we're going to wrap things up. First of all, it teaches us this. Our relationship with Christ teaches us that, we, that he is completely enraptured with you. Men and women, he is completely captivated by you. Take the picture of a young man who's maybe just asked his girlfriend to marry him. And what that looks like. He's completely captured by her. He loves everything about her. There is nothing wrong that she can do. He wants to be with her. He wants to spend every waking minute with her. He wants to know life with her. Life seems fuller when they are together. You remember those feelings, men? It's okay, I'll give you a moment. Try to remember them if you can. <laughs> remember what it was like when it just seemed like the sun shone brighter when she was around? Birds sang louder. It was a whole Shrek scene. God loves you, and it's so bold. And when we think of it this way, when we think of Christ's love for us as being this bold, passionate, captivated love, it's not an indifferent love. It's not a love that only scholars and theologians can understand. And if I understand this, then I get Christ's love. It is like a young man dumbstruck in love who just wants to be with his bride. And it's an incredible thing. And it's a love that goes beyond any kind of passion or love you will experience on this earth. But the trouble is, most of us have never experienced anything even close to this love. Most of us have never experienced, maybe from our fathers, what it's like to have a father who loves you deeply and cherishes you 
and disciplines and corrects you and brings you up in, in, in ways that are right for you. And so because we've never experienced this love on earth, it is difficult to understand that God would love me this way. What does it even look like for God to love me that way? What would my life look like if I received that kind of love from God? I don't even know what it's like to have that kind of love from another human being. You see, it's a mature love that looks past the warts and the ugliness and the dirt of our cells and it sees our heart. And you say, well, that's the part I don't want him to see. My heart is wicked. My heart is gross. My heart is a lump of coal. But all Christ sees is the diamond. And so often we get caught up with having to shape the coal into a diamond for him. And he's like, would you just let me do that for you? I love what I see. I love your black, gross, lumpy coal of a heart. (laughs) I realize you're wicked. I realize you struggle. I realize you're selfish. And I love you in spite of all of it. It's such a mature love that he sees through it all and and he loves us anyway. Thirdly, whenever you fall in love with somebody, you do everything for them, right? You want to serve them. You want to be with them. You want to take them. The movies are boring without them. You want to go do your hobby with them. Maybe they didn't ride bikes before you, but now you want them to be with you riding bikes because it's so much fun. You want to go fishing. Maybe not fishing. That's just me. You you stay home. I'll go fishing by myself. But everything else you want to do together. There's something about being together with that person, someone who loves you that way, that seems to make, it seems to complete you, right? We talked about that last week. It seems to feel like a puzzle piece that just makes sense that you've been missing out in life. Can you believe it? Can you believe that God would love you this way? Can you believe that Jesus wants to know you this way, wants to understand you this way and lastly is this Christ's love is authority Christ's love is his authority it's his headship so you'll say this what if I'm divorced what if I'm homosexual what if I'm single what does all of this have to do with me what could it possibly have to do with me as you talk about a husband and a wife and God's design and God's form And it has a lot to do with you. You see, one of the reasons so many people are scared to be married, one of the reasons we're afraid to fall in love and fall under the authority of marriage is because once you enter into a marriage relationship, you are now under the authority. You are part of that one flesh union. It is no longer just you and your thoughts and your will and your desires. You have to fall into the authority of of who you have married. And the thing with that is, is it kind of stinks sometimes, especially when you don't like each other. Especially when you don't agree and see eye to eye on something. It really stinks because I can't just take off and go to L.A. tomorrow because I want to see the ocean, right? I just wake up early, give Christy a kiss. Where are you going? I'm going to head to L.A. I just missed the ocean. What? Yeah, I'll be gone for about two months. It'll be nice and then I'll come back. You got the kids, right? Everything's good here. You can't do that. You're inside this authority structure. And that's why our culture loves just living together. We love moving into with one another to see if we're compatible with one another. Air quotes for those of you listening to this later. Because there's no authority there. I get to love you. I get to be intimate and physical with you without actually being vulnerable. And I don't actually have to submit to any sort of authority because I still have my own independence and my own freedom to get up and go and do whatever I want. There's no authority. And people want to look at their relationship with Christ the same exact way. 
I said the get out of hell prayer years ago when I was a kid, and I have continued to go and live my life in this direction. I don't want to be under his authority. But Christ says, my authority is my love. My authority is my passion. It is where I pursue after you. It is where I mold you and shape you. It is how you grow. And so you can see where it gets lost in translation. This understanding that because I feel this way, because my desires are different than other people's desires, God has to be okay with it. So I want to love God, but I don't want to live under his authority. I want to change what scripture says about something. I want to validate my lifestyle because I want it to be this way. God understands. He loves me. I will just go outside of his authority to do it. But Christ says, my love is my authority. He wants you to come under this authority because under the authority of Christ, when we bow our knees to that, we don't just accept what he did on the cross. We don't just accept his godship. We accept the inheritance of the kingdom. We accept sons and daughters. We accept, it's our acceptance into the family. And you may have felt for a long time in the church that you've been on the outside looking in. And I would challenge you that if you have felt that way in the church, it may not have been the church's fault or the type of worship or that they were bad at community or that nobody followed up with you, but it may be the fact that you still haven't submitted your life to Jesus' authority. You still haven't submitted your home, your will, your finances, none of it. It's still your authority. You just have this, you know, I said a prayer and I go to church type thing. And I want to encourage you today to think about this question. Am I under the authority of Christ in my life? Do I submit myself to his authority? Because he's passionately pursuing after you. He's longing to know you more in that, that intimate, that vulnerable type way where you can really stop having to feel like you're hiding a piece of who you are to him or the world. So I said if you're not married or you're single, you come to a place where you have to recognize Christ will complete me. He's the ultimate helper. He comes in as the ultimate head-body relationship. He's the ultimate masculinity He's the ultimate spouse. And the text says whether you're married or not to a human being, you can be married to Christ. And he's completely captivated by you. Will you let yourself come under his authority? Will you stop making excuses for the things that you don't think are right? And will you say, Lord, will you be the author of my life? I'm tired of writing a story that I'm unhappy with. I'm tired of feeling empty and lonely. I'm tired of bitterness Will you be the author of my life? I'm going to invite the band back out. We're going to close with worship. And I just want to give you an opportunity. You can bow your heads here. It's a busy week. We have busy, busy weeks. And here you get about three, five minutes. Just bow your heads before Christ and say, Lord, I may be messing up in my marriage right now. I don't always get it right. And part of that is I find it difficult to be under your authority at times. I find it difficult to submit my will or my beliefs to what I read in the scriptures. But Lord, I love my family. I love my spouse. And I want to see us walk out of here today in strength. I realize there may be work that needs to be done. 
I realize we don't have it all together, but I want to walk out of here in strength. And if that's your prayer, I encourage you, if you're with your spouse, to just take their hand, bow your heads together, and have a moment where you can just pray together. Maybe it's the first time in a while you've prayed together, but what better way to end this series than you praying with your spouse? The band will just play here for a minute or so, and then we'll jump into this final song, How Great Thou Art. Just let this be a this be a holy time between you and the Lord. We've been praying all week that the Holy Spirit would meet some couples here and some people. And as those of you who are praying together are doing that, for those of you who don't know the Lord, I want to offer an invitation this morning. If that kind of love, if that kind of acceptance, if that kind of relationship is something that you realize you've been missing out on, and for one reason or another, you've never recognized that it's because you just don't want to put your authority under Christ. Or maybe you've known that that's why you haven't accepted. But this morning, God's telling you differently. We encourage you to come forward. I don't want you to just stay in your seat and say a silent prayer. If you remember a few weeks back, a few weeks back we talked about what a covenant was, why we get married in public. There's no covenants in the backseat of a car. There's no covenants in silence. We do marriage in public so that all the, everyone can see and be witness to the covenant being made. And if you feel this morning like giving your Christ, life to Christ for the first time, we encourage you to come forward. We have people that will stand by you and pray with you. We have books or Bibles that we want to be able to give you and just rejoice with you. So you can come forward whenever you want. And in about a minute, the band will start to play. But either way. The- this has been a message from LifePoint Church. We pray that you have been blessed by it. Be sure to check out lifepointpeople.com for more information, or you can follow us on Facebook.